0: Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.
1: Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.textmed.org forward slash cme to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash cme T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context of the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your health care attorney. Nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases.
2: Hello, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I produce the TMA Practice well Podcast and manage the TMA Education Center, where we strive to help physicians and their practice thrive. In this episode, we continue with the Ask the Expert series, a program that brings physicians direct access to professional experts who can answer questions on legal, practice management, advocacy, and regulatory topics. Co hosting with me is Sherry Williams, Associate Vice President for TMA Human Resources. And our guest expert is Tom Nesbitt, Labor and Employment Attorney with DeShazzo and Nesbitt. Sherry, let's jump right into it.
3: Great. Thank you so much. We're really happy to be with you uh, today. I think it's kind of important to address a still very pressing topic that's on all employers, not just practices. top of our list is we are still in a pandemic and there are continued questions swirling around about the vaccines and an employer's ability to um, require a vaccine. So with that, Tom, I know we're still waiting to know whose mandate we are to follow and what's going to be happening. Can you um, look into your magic eight ball and tell us what as employers we can do to make sure we're keeping our staff and our patients safe.
0: Sure. Uh- So, you know, Sherry, the first thing that I think is the the hottest topic in my area, and, you know, I'm I'm an employment lawyer, and although I do occasionally represent individuals, I mainly, my practice is mainly focused around advising employers about their risks and, you know, laws that they need to comply with, and usually that involves well-developed statutes that were clearly, you know, or semi-clearly laid out as to what is required and what's not. And when there's the gray area, we have court decisions that we look to. With this COVID pandemic, we are in a new world of rapidly issued uh, laws, executive orders that don't have a clear direction of what do they mean and and must we even comply with them. So I want to preface it. A lot of what Mm -hmm. I'm going to say about this is we're just not sure about where the lines are. Earlier this month, uh, Governor Greg Abbott issued his Executive Order 40, and that's been on a lot of practices, a lot of employers' minds.
2: Right. This is top of everyone's mind and driving the question, what can we, that is physician employers,
0: do? One of the things employers can do, and some but by no means all employers have done, is they have implemented requirements in their workplace that basically say, if you're going to work here, you have to be vaccinated for COVID-19. And until earlier this month, in Texas at least, it it was permissible, and may still be, for a Texas employer to have a workplace rule that says, to work here, you must be vaccinated. And some of my clients did implement such a rule and and still have that rule. But then on uh, October 11th, Governor Abbott issued this order. And it says no entity in Texas can compel receipt of a COVID-19 vaccine by any individual, including an employee or consumer who objects to such vaccination for any reason of personal conscience based on a religious belief or for medical reasons, including prior recovery from COVID-19. So what employment lawyers are all freaking out about is what does this even mean?
2: Can an employer have a rule that says to work here or to continue working here, you must be vaccinated?
0: I have some employer clients who have already implemented a mandatory vaccine requirement, and therefore the only people working for them have the vaccine. Now the question becomes, does this mean that they cannot require applicants to continue in the application process to be vaccinated? And unfortunately, the answers to these questions are, we don't know what this means in that regard. I, I think it probably means that going to a current employee and saying, because you are not vaccinated, you are fired, probably violates this order. Probably that's the best interpretation of this order. What I think a strong argument can be made, though, that even that does not, you know, because in many employment lawyers, mainly management side lawyers who are used to trying to avoid risks of violating these things have said, is that really compelling someone? You know, we have this notion of at-will employment and that, you know, the the at-will rule has been very strong under Texas law for many years. It's a very pro-business Uh, public policy in our state. And it has long been the rule that by simply requiring certain things to continue in an at-will employment relationship is not compulsion, it's not coercion. And so a strong argument could be made that even continuing to have a thou shalt be vaccinated to continue working here rule doesn't violate this order. I think that's probably a weaker argument than that that would violate this order. A much stronger argument could be made that saying to, to employee applicants in order to continue in the application process, you need to confirm you're vaccinated, that might violate this order, but it's, there's a much stronger argument that it does not. Then there's also a lot of arguments about whether this order is actually enforceable uh, it, it, to begin with, and that, that will be challenged in court. And I know that that doesn't give you guys any solace right now because you don't want to be the one in a million that the Attorney General focuses on for the enforcement of this rule. After all, it is very likely the case that there will be an enforcement action brought against some employer or groups of employers, and it will be a very thin band of all employers, uh, but you don't want to be that one. So what's the safest course of action is to not require vaccines, uh, at least until this shakes out. I want to also point out that we are awaiting a federal ruling from OSHA, what's called emergency temporary standard is expected to be issued. And we don't know what that's going to say, but what we think it's going to say, because the Biden administration has said, it will say that employers with 100 or more employees must have a policy requiring vaccines of their employees. Now, Whether that's what it'll say and what exceptions might be in there, we don't yet know. But when those come out, I don't know if anybody has 100 or more employees, but some of you may. Some of you may be from large healthcare systems or large practice groups, and that federal requirement very well may apply to you. Right now, it does not.
2: In the most recent legislative session in Texas, a bill was introduced to essentially legislate what is in Governor Abbott's order. What can you tell us about that bill?
0: There was a bill that was going through the legislature to impose the same kind of you can't require vaccines in your workplace. And it failed. It did not pass. And it largely did not pass because business groups and medical groups spoke up and said the business groups primarily were saying you're interfering with the employer employee relationship here. And it it failed to pass. That's not to say that it won't pass on this. Uh, whether or not you can require vaccines. Let me tell you what the law was, assuming this doesn't prohibit you from doing that. Let's say that the governor had never passed this emergency order or that it is deemed to be unenforceable. The law has long been, it is permissible to require vaccines, but that you might have to make exceptions for individual employees under federal law, if they have a genuinely held religious belief that prohibits them from being vaccinated. And that that is part of longstanding federal law that requires employers that have 15 or more employees to give reasonable accommodation to genuinely, sincerely held religious beliefs. Similarly, you might have to make a reasonable accommodation for an individual Uh, who has a disability and whose disability makes them unable to take the vaccine. That is still the law. That has been the law throughout this pandemic. And if you are in a practice, for example, that has mandated your employees to be vaccinated for COVID-19, you still have to consider individual requests from employees that they not be vaccinated. Okay, so how does that work? First of all, they need to make that request of you. They're basically asking for an exception to your policy requiring them to be vaccinated. And when they do, you have broad discretion to, and you should then engage them in a discussion about, okay, we have a policy that requires vaccines. You're asking us to make an exception of that for you. Tell me why. Is this a medical issue? And we'll talk about in a second about going down that road with your employee. Or on the other hand, is it a, is it a religious issue? Are you asking for an accommodation for a sincerely held religious belief? You, then you start to have a conversation. And I'm Sherry. I'm jumping ahead to one of your other questions. When you asked me the other day, is what can we then require of employees who ask for one of those two exceptions to our mandatory vaccine policy? And there's really no straight rule of of what can we ask for and what we can't, but there are clear guidelines. And you should start by just having a conversation with the employee. Tell me about that. You're asking for an exception to our policy. Why? Well, it's religious. Okay, explain that to me. What is the sincerely held religious belief that you have that bears on your need to not be vaccinated? Just have a conversation. Tell me about that. And then, you know, if they tell you, well, I go to this church, okay, what church is that? Take good notes. And what is the belief? What's what's the part of your religious belief? And they don't have to go to a church. It can, it doesn't have to be a church, but get information from them. What are the beliefs and where, where might I go to learn more about this uh, sincerely held religious belief? Is there a place I could go look online that, that says that you guys, that your you know, your religion, does not permit you to be vaccinated Um, and just take good notes. What I would then advise you to do is follow up with an email to an employee confirming, okay, this is what you told me. You told me you have this religious belief. You, you're a member of this congregation. You've been a member of this congregation for several years or for six months. Um, And then if you doubt the sincerity of their belief, you can then ask for follow up documentation. (laughs) Show me where I can go online to find more information about this. Can you have an elder or a minister in your congregation send me some literature so I can, you know, test the validity of this? You should not go overboard. And where the overboard is will be hard to tell on a case by case basis. But you do have the right to test the sincerity of their beliefs, similarly with medical reasons. And I've not dealt so far. Some of my colleagues have with the religious exemption on medical Uh, somebody saying I have a disability and it precludes me from taking the vaccine. You have a right to ask them to tell me about what is the limiting condition that, that causes you not to be able to meet this workplace requirement of a vaccine. And then you just like any other disability where someone is asking for an accommodation, you can ask for medical documentation of that. And what you ask for should be as narrow as gets you the information to you know, confirm that it is medically improper for them to take the vaccine. I have found in every one of these that I have worked with clients on, I haven't yet found a physician or a healthcare provider, not that it hadn't happened, but I haven't yet found a healthcare provider willing to put in writing that their patient should not take the vaccine. So insisting upon proof of that, is within your rights and should be done, though, in as narrow a way as gets you the information to conclude that, yeah, this person does have either a sincerely held religious belief precluding taking the vaccine or a disability that does so.
2: So, Tom, if you can't mandate a vaccination for current staff, can you
0: require weekly testing? Yes. And I I don't really have anything to add to that. I feel like I have to make up for all the rambling I just did that's really great we
3: appreciate it this is really good information and it's uh pretty consistent with what i've been getting from rocky as well as we're not ready to make a a ruling on that yet because we have to wait and see what plays out and we have to tread carefully um, with regard to mandates
2: right thank you sherry for that reminder rocky wilcox is tma's vp and general counsel and his team are closely following the challenges to these mandates So for our listeners, you can get the latest from TMA at www.texmed.org or by reading the Daily Texas Medicine Today emails. A link to access these resources is listed in the episode description. Tom, now to follow up on the question regarding testing, who is responsible for paying for the weekly
0: testing? It's whoever the employer decides to make responsible for it. You can, if you want to pay for it. If you want to require employees to, as a condition of continuing to be employed, to bring you a negative test every two weeks, three weeks, every month, you can make that a requirement of their continued employment and you can require them to pay for it. If you want to, that is a business decision you get to make.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Tom. What happens, though, also is a concern with practices that I've seen of what if a reasonable accommodation does come into play? What if a work-from-home accommodation doesn't work for a practice if they don't really have some of the same opportunities that pr- other private employers have?
0: So I'm asked to assume that someone... If, to tell me your if question.
3: Someone, to... If someone did receive a a religious accommodation or a medical accommodation, but part of that is, you know, you still want only vaccinated staff in your office and a work from home scenario doesn't really play out for that practice. What other routes can they go?
0: The first route where you should go in that circumstance is evaluate whether the person's presence in the office as an unvaccinated person poses a direct threat. And I use air quotes because direct threat is a legal concept under the Americans with Disabilities Act and and other uh, federal statutes. Because even if someone has a sincerely held religious belief that they can't take the vaccine, they're not entitled to uh, an accommodation of coming to work unvaccinated if doing so poses a direct threat. Now that question, uh, you know if we were talking about certain conditions involving somebody that operates a forklift, I could go find 15 cases from the last three decades saying that that condition for a forklift driver does or does not pose a direct threat. For someone with who is unvaccinated, For COVID-19 in October of 2021, I don't know. And I'd need to know a lot more about your workplace. But I'll tell you, if I was talking to a bunch of, you know, people that employ long haul truck drivers, I would say, don't even bother. You know, somebody that spends their day alone in a truck driving down the highway almost certainly doesn't pose a direct threat. You can you can figure out other things like masking and social distancing to accommodate that person, but you guys have medical practices and your employees are in, I don't know, you've got a lot of different kinds of employees, but many of them are in direct care roles and they're being exposed to people with COVID and they're being exposed to people with com- compromised immunity. I would say first, go talk to employment lawyer, talk to them about, hey, let's evaluate whether, even if somebody has this exemption, do we have to continue to employ them inside of our facility? You might not have to. I say might not because it's not gonna be an easy answer. It's gonna be an issue of evaluating your risk. If we get sued, are we gonna win or are they gonna win? And what's it gonna cost and that kind of thing. So that's step one. Let's assume that your lawyer says, I don't think you can make out a direct threat defense. You're going to have to find some way to keep this person employed. Then now we're just talking about physical steps that we're all used to of keeping them separated, you know, socially distanced. You can require people to wear masks. Uh, You can require the unvaccinated to wear masks, even though the vaccinated are not required to wear masks. You can take all kinds of steps like that Your goal should be, though, not to punish people and not to seem to be punishing people for asking for and getting the accommodation that they're entitled to, but rather let the science drive it. But I think before you even get to that, you're asking, do we even have to employ this person even if they have one of these medical or religious uh, situations?
2: Let's pause here. And I want to read a question a physician recently asked. With an M.A. shortage or medical assistant shortage, it took two weeks after advertising for the position until I was able to secure someone. I was forced to hire one who is not interested in the vaccine. I have a feeling this will fire back soon. I want to know if there are any legal implications of hiring someone who isn't vaccinated. Okay, there's really two issues here. One, it's becoming harder to fill vacant positions. Now, as consumers, we've seen this in a lot of industries, and now our physicians are coming up against the same problem. And two, if you're not getting the candidate pool as you have in the past, are physicians taking on a risk by hiring someone who isn't vaccinated?
3: It does make it hard when it's so hard in these recruiting times to find someone who's qualified, who actually shows up to an interview that you feel is, you know, Suitable for the position, but then to then realize they are not vaccinated, um, it does pose, um, you know, some inconveniences for sure. Um, And it, especially in, in our market, it's hard to find a big enough pool of qualified applicants who are willing to apply. It's a very strange place we're in right now. Right.
0: Tom? Yes, the answer is yes, there are legal. One of them goes to the issue we were just discussing about direct threat. And let me explain what I mean. Let me give you an example. An employer has eight people performing medical assistant work. And uh, one of them refused to be vaccinated, but claimed a medical you know, a disability, and it turned out that person couldn't be vaccinated. And the employer, instead of accommodating that, decided, we simply can't do that. You're a direct threat being in this direct patient role, unvaccinated. So I'm sorry, but we're going to decline your request for an accommodation, enforce our policy and terminate your employment. Okay, let's say they do that. If three weeks later, you hire a medical assistant, who has not been vaccinated and you put that person to work, one legal implication of that is it blows your direct threat defense out of the water. Okay, right? You've you've lost your direct threat defense from having fired the other person. I think the shorthand way of saying that is you've got to try as best you can to treat people the same who are in similar circumstances. So that's one implication. I and mean, maybe the thrust of the question is is something different, which is. Are we going to get sued if this unvaccinated person uh, infects a bunch of people? Maybe. Yeah, you you very well might. And I'll be able to tell you more about the legal implications of that uh, in about 18 months when those kinds of lawsuits percolate up through the system, (laughs) which will be, of course, no benefit to you. Um, That kind of lawsuit, though is very likely going to be covered by workers' comp, and therefore it won't really be a lawsuit. It'll be a workers' comp claim. But the plaintiffs in those cases will argue, but no, wait a minute, generalized infections aren't covered. The flu, common infectious diseases aren't covered by workers' comp. So I'm going to sue my employer for negligence. Okay, that's the legal implication is a negligence claim by someone saying, I got infected because my employer negligently permitted in the workplace an unvaccinated person who, who infected a bunch of people. That is a possible outcome. Uh, and, and so how do we guard against that? Your operating mantra just needs to be act prudently, act with, safely. So, and how, how do we prove that we did that later?
2: Yeah. Yeah. What if you have an employee, though, that has direct contact with patients and the employee refuses to be vaccinated? Should you have them sign a waiver stating they understand the risk?
0: Uh, Yes, that's not going to be a silver bullet to avoid liability in the future, but it doesn't hurt. It also goes toward what I was just talking about about acting prudently. So what what are the things we did to try to protect people? We urged people to get vaccinated. We even required people to get vaccinated until we were told arguably by the governor that we couldn't Uh, We had no choice because we couldn't hire anybody other than this one unvaccinated person. We reluctantly hired someone, but we took these steps, masks, testing. We took all these steps to be as prudent as we could. And in this situation here, I guess here you're talking about an employer that doesn't have a requirement of a vaccine, but you can still encourage people and giving out a form that someone signed saying, look, we encourage you to get vaccinated and here's why. <laughs> and you're going to be in contact with patients and we can't ensure your safety. And you understand that and you're still refusing to get vaccinated. That can help too. That's, just, that's another step you're taking to later prove we did everything we reasonably could.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Okay. This brings us to the end of our time for this Ask the Expert. We have other helpful Ask the Expert episodes available in the TMA Education Center and on the TMA Practice Well podcast channel. Thank you, Sherry and Tom, for taking on these questions. To our listeners, we hope you found this episode beneficial. You can find more practical programs and claim see me for today's episode in the TMA Education Center. A link is provided in the episode description. To receive more helpful tips, remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast. Until next time, stay well.